0: Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all safely here to ASI Orlando, Florida. And we pray just now, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will fill our hearts and our minds. I pray that the words that I speak will be your words, Lord, and that the Holy Spirit will bring home those points that will bless each and every one in attendance this morning. We ask for this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. My name is Denny Sue Ross. Denny Sue? I'm yes. All right. Are you having a little trouble? Please, let me invite you to come forward. It's much nicer for me to have you a little bit closer anyway. Again, my name is Denny Sue Ross, and I'm the founder and the president of Right Way Inc. RightWay, Inc. is a contract technical writing and training firm based just outside of Boise, Idaho. How many of you know where Boise, Idaho is? All right, good. Our business objective is to place contract technical writers, documentation specialists, and trainers into a variety of state and local governmental businesses and corporate. Most of my work days are spent in an office at the Capitol Mall in Boise. And that will be important later on in some of the things that I'm going to share. While I'm there during those hours of the day, I serve as Rightway's contract monitor to the state of Idaho. Now, let me give you a little bit of an introduction to today's seminar. Of course, the title of it is, For Such a Time as This, A Business Plan That You Can Live With. I have to confess, I really had a great deal of difficulty arriving on a title and coming up with a description for this course. And they ask us to do this about six months ahead of this weekend. Well, in the last six to eight weeks, more has happened in my workplace witnessing situation than in perhaps the last 12 years. So I have to warn you this morning that the content of this seminar has dramatically changed since the description was written, and I want to give you a little heads up about what I want to talk about this morning. First of all, I want to talk about, as Adventist business owners and professionals, what is the practical application of accepting the call to workplace ministry? I want to also talk this morning about what it is like and what we can expect if we are telling the truth in these kinds of troublesome times because the times we're living in are different than they were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, amen. I also wanna talk about living out our witness in the workplace. What does that actually look like? I'm not gonna focus a great deal this morning on specific suggestions about we'll do this or do that. We're gonna talk a little bit more about the philosophy and the theory and the boundaries that we have to work within and what the biblical principles of being called to witness in the workplace are this morning. If you want to get some tips and suggestions, you are in the right place because ASI is a very rich environment in terms of providing you with workplace materials for witnessing. Barbara Taylor, who's going to be doing a seminar tomorrow morning, has developed a little booklet called Witnessing Made Simple. And she has about a 100 of the best ideas I have ever heard for marketplace witnessing in that little book. And for every one of Barbara's suggestions that you read, you will think of at least another one that will bounce off of one of her ideas. Also, the last thing we're gonna talk about this morning is persistence under persecution. I was baptized in 1996, and since I came into the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I hear a lot about a time of trouble that is yet ahead of us. For some of us, it's here now. For some of us, it'll be here tomorrow or the next day. Mm -hmm. But my personal experience tells me that it will be coming for each and every one of us. And talking about persisting in troublesome times is different than actually doing it. And I think that we need to admonish and lift one another up, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, as I said, quite frankly, some events have happened over the past six to eight weeks that have really dramatically changed the content of what we're going to talk about this morning. But one thing hasn't changed, and that is my conviction that we have been called for an incredibly special purpose at an incredibly special time. There are those right now, even as we meet here this weekend, who either are or are very close to becoming willing to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Lord knows who they are. The Holy Spirit knows who they are. And the Holy Spirit knows where we are. And the Holy Spirit is going to bring the right people across your path at the right time. And the question is are you ready? because we must be ready. Quite frankly, as Seventh-day Adventist business professionals, I don't think that we can afford to further disregard the fact that God has a business plan for us. And in fact, it is a business plan that we can truly live with, one that has been designed to, to grow us, to bless us, and to bring us where we need to be. So I'm excited this morning. I'd like to spend just a few minutes. I'm feeling so sentimental about being back here in Orlando, Florida. I just want to share a little bit about how witnessing for Jesus Christ in the workplace began for Dan and I. We attended our very first ASI National Convention in Orlando, Florida in 1999. And I cannot begin to tell you the change that it has made in our lives. But trust me when I say, when we got on that airplane and returned to our offices in our home in Boise, Idaho, nothing has ever been the same. I left here that weekend with a much greater understanding of my role as a Seventh-day Adventist business person. My perspective was totally revolutionized. I want to outline three things that really changed for me that weekend. You might want to jot some of these words down if this rings true with you or if it resonates with you. First of all, when I left that initial weekend, I was a little bit rattled, a little bit shook up to find out that my business goals, my purposes, my priorities, and my definitions of success were not only completely out of line with those of the Lord, but that in fact they were unsuitable and unacceptable for a Seventh-day Adventist business person. I knew when I left here that things had to change. I knew that I was going to have to become willing to surrender the true ownership of Right Way back to its true owner How many of you here this morning are business owners? Okay, oh my goodness. Then I really am speaking to the right audience. How many are business professionals? Okay, good, we're so glad to have you with us. Well, you know the kind of people that we are. We have these tendencies and we have these traits and we probably didn't end up being Adventist business owners by mistake or by accident and we have tendencies to want control of the businesses that we feel that we have founded or given birth to or started and sometimes it's easy for us to forget who has the true ownership of our business. I also realized that I was going to have to become willing to even accept the calling because God had a different plan in mind for me than what I had for myself. So let's talk a little bit about what does it mean in a nuts and bolts, kind of rubber-meets-the-road way. What does it mean to accept the call? Now, we have precious little time this morning. So I am going to uh, make an assumption that you all embrace some fundamental spiritual truth, like the fact that do we all believe here this morning that we are called to be ministers for Jesus Christ? We don't have to convince any of you of that. In addition, do we all agree that it is the Holy Spirit who does the convicting and the calling? And I want you to know this morning that the purpose of this seminar is not to guilt you into doing something. The purpose of this seminar is to inspire you so that you can leave here and return to your homes and inspire others. When I first began my workplace ministry, I realized that my understanding of the concept of being called to minister in my marketplace had been very strongly influenced by my whole world view. Now, I'm about to share some things with you, and this might cause you to chuckle, but I think if you search your soul, you'll find out there's a little of this in all of us. I felt that I had a duty and a responsibility as an Adventist business person to achieve and to succeed. And a standard worldview was dictating to me exactly what that meant. But just to show you how easily we can be misled or we can mislead ourselves, I want you to take a look at three things. Number one, I felt that my first responsibility was to take care of my own needs. Okay? I can see that some of you are smiling. But think about this. We have a lot of biblical support for taking care of our own needs and taking care of the needs of others, correct? And on top of that, we can also justify our position that we are, in fact, bringing glory to the Lord. You're going to hear a lot this weekend about how we walk the walk, and how we're watched by others, and people are watching us to see what we're doing, and all of that is, in fact, true. And so it becomes even more critical. The success that we have in business, the clothes that we wear, where do we live, what car do we drive, all of the trappings of this world are things that those we work with are, in fact, watching, and none of us can deny that there is a certain element of truth in the fact that these things draw people to us oftentimes. So we have to be very careful not to deceive ourselves. Secondly, I believed my responsibility and my duty was to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Because I come to ASI, or I go to a local regional ASI, or I attend my local church, and I hear about mission projects that are indiscriminate rewarding. We know that biblically we're called to tithe, to give offerings. We want to contribute to these projects. We all want to be part of saving souls for the kingdom of God, but this costs money. And so we can justify going home, returning to business as usual, and succeeding according to worldly views as much as possible, because after all, then we can justify what we're able to contribute to the glorious work of God. I'm not being sarcastic when I talk about these things. These things are, in fact, important, but we do need to keep them in their proper perspective. Now, once I had all of those obligations, taking care of myself and my own, and tithing and making offerings and giving to projects, then I believed that what was left over the time and the resources that were remaining is the the time and the resources that i was to put toward winning souls for christ and i was very easy it was very easy for me to justify those priorities well in the world that we live in today how much time and resources do you think i had left over none none absolutely none I had to really get real with the fact that the Lord had a divine business plan for me and it was one that I could truly live with. I had to come to grips and I came to a full understanding that Right Way Inc. was God's business and that in fact it was the way, it was the means, it was the vehicle by which he would be able to use me to save souls for the kingdom, end of discussion. For a business owner, that's not an easy place to arrive. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will help you get there. I know that for me it was a pretty radical change of course. You might wanna write this one down, Acts of the Apostles, page 110. Hundreds, yea, thousands who have heard the message of salvation are still idlers in the marketplace when they might be engaged in some kind of active service. I pray that there's no one here this morning who is an idler in their marketplace. To these Christ is saying, why stand ye here all the day idle? And he adds, go ye also into the vineyards. I'm going to suggest this morning that perhaps as Adventist business people, we're not taking our call to marketplace witnessing quite as seriously as we should be. As a matter of fact, I was honored to have the, idea, or the opportunity to talk about this this morning because when we come together at an ASI conference, it is very, very easy to get swept up into and become extremely excited by the projects that we're all going to come together to support. And it's true. Collectively, we can do so much more than any one of us can do individually that it is a worthwhile thing to get excited about. But on the other hand, thank you for coming and sharing with me this morning so that we can spend a little bit of time remembering that our first call as members of ASI and as Adventist business owners and professionals is to share Christ in our sphere of professional influence. Now, once I became willing to really surrender my business to the Lord, hot on the heels of that decision, I realized that I hadn't fully surrendered my life. And let me tell you that if you surrender your business to the Lord without surrendering your life to the Lord, you will find out that it is very frustrating, ineffectual, and will bear very little, if any fruit whatsoever. And we would never run our businesses that way. I knew that I had to have an altitude adjustment. I had the organization chart of Right Way, Inc., just exactly the way that I wanted it. But we had to have an altitude adjustment. I had to decrease so that Christ could increase. And that made all the difference in the world. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about witnessing for Christ in the marketplace during troublesome times. But first of all, if you'll bear with me, and those of you who totally understand this concept, please. Um, this is a good time for a two-minute power nap. But I want to talk a little bit about the concept of sowing seed and harvesting. As As a business owner, I had a lot of trouble with this. I really struggled with this for years and years. And it amazes me sometimes how small we think, how narrow our scope is. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands because I know almost universally that every one of you have had this experience. But remember back in grade school in the early spring when you'd have some kind of a seed planting project? We all remember that, right? The teacher would come and she'd have little cups and she would fill them up with dirt. And then each child, I'm talking first, second, third, fourth grade, whatever, I think we did it every year and each child would be given a few seeds and you know we'd poke those seeds into the into the little dirt cup now i grew up in minnesota so we had to put our dirt cups on the radiator and sit them next to the window so that they didn't freeze overnight at school but i honestly remember being wired i don't know if other kids thought this way cuz frankly i didn't ask them but i would poke that little seed into that cup of dirt set it on the radiator get on the bus, go home, get up the next morning, and I would actually, I I tell you this is the truth, I would walk back into that room the next morning expecting a full-grown tomato plant. And I was disappointed every year because it wasn't there. And you know, when I started to witness for Christ in the marketplace, I had exactly the same attitude. I would select some kind of a person that I thought might be ready to receive the gospel, and they would be my little cup full of dirt. And I'd I'd poke one seed down in that dirt, because after all, we don't want to offend anybody. okay? So I'd poke one seed on Monday, but then Tuesday morning, There was no plant. There was no growth. And so I'd be disappointed. So then maybe I'd take another seed, and I'd poke that seed down in the hole, and the next day, and on and on and on. And I was putting a lot of effort into planting one seed at a time, and then standing there basically, figuratively speaking, of course, for 24 hours waiting for something miraculous to happen, and I was not getting the result that I wanted. It just wasn't working for me. I'm here this morning to suggest to you that when God calls us to be a seed planter, He does not mean one seed at a time. Okay? I was finding it very difficult to separate being a seed sower and a harvester because I was hardwired as a business owner to harvest. I want to bring in the customers, I want to bring in the clients, I want to bring in the money, I want to bring in results, I want to see action, action, action. So seed sowing just wasn't resonating with me at all. I have a good friend that works for the TSA and he said, you will never get on an aircraft in Boise, Idaho with a seed broadcaster and a bag of seed. But that's what I wanted to bring this morning in order to be able to give you a little demonstration of what God means when he talks about sowing seed. Have you ever seen one of those machines? You fill it with seed and you kind of crank the handle. That's the kind that I've seen work. And the seed blows everywhere. It gets on everything. Now, if you've ever planted anything that way, You don't care where the seeds go. You don't stand there and try to watch where each one fell so that you can rush back and try to nurture every one of those little individual seeds. You just broadcast that stuff out there. And you let nature take care of those seeds. Your job is to get them out there thick and heavy. We're business people. We should understand more than anyone the idea that if we sow sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly, correct? If we sow heavy, we will reap heavy. But it's very, very hard to be broadcasting seed the whole time that you're looking behind you and trying to see if there's one little plant there that you should be harvesting. Trust the Holy Spirit. Let me put this into business terms for you. You and I are not in charge of the harvesting division. Okay? Let the Holy Spirit do his job. You and I, as Adventist business people, are in charge of the seed-sowing division. So I encourage you today, start sowing seeds, sow it everywhere, sow it thick. Trust the Holy Spirit. When someone is ready to be scooped up, They will be brought across your path. You will know it. You will know how to bring in the sheave, but don't stop cranking out seed. Amen? Amen. For such a time as this, telling the truth in troublesome times. At the beginning of the seminar, I mentioned to you that some things have recently happened. Actually, a lot has recently happened. If you'll forgive me, I am really going to uh, summarize this down because I want you to know what's going on in my workplace, but I don't want to soak up all of our time this morning talking about it. Two years ago, RightWay was approached by ASI to create a video magazine. Have any of you seen those on 3ABN? They feature individual ASI members who are in business And the basic idea is to share how you've been able to witness for Christ in the marketplace. I never gave it a moment's thought. I was honored to be asked to participate. I made the video. I never thought another thing about it. Almost two years later, someone, I don't know who, managed to come across RightWay's ASI video. Its contents and the fact that I was on that video representing Right Way was brought to the attention of a very, very high-ranking administrator in the Idaho State Department of Health and Welfare. On Friday, June 18th, I was called into a division chief's office with a bureau manager, and I was told that my ASI video magazine was not complementary to the state of Idaho, that, in fact, it linked my personal beliefs with the state of Idaho, particularly with the Department of Health and Welfare, and that it needed to be removed from the internet immediately. As far as I know, they don't even know that it's being broadcast on 3ABN and the Hope Channel and places like that. I sat there, and I just kept my mouth shut not because of any great wisdom or insight on my behalf, but let me share with you. I consider myself to be a pretty bold workplace witness. The feeling of sitting in an office that high up in a state office building, looking at the governor's secretary and being threatened and realizing that my job was at stake and not just my job, but the job of my husband, and the job of all the families who work for me. RightWay, Inc. has held a large contract with the state of Idaho for 15 consecutive years. For any of you who know anything at all about how that process works, it required us to win five highly competitive bidding processes, and we've held it consecutively. Now, all of a sudden, everything is in jeopardy. And I'll tell you, It's one thing to talk about persecution. It's one thing to say, I'll never deny you, Lord. I will die for you. And it is quite another when you are faced in the moment, knowing that your beliefs and your convictions are jeopardizing other people and other situations. I prayed some prayers that morning unlike any prayer I've ever had in my life. I can tell you where we're at today. First of all, this may be the best thing that has ever happened in my spiritual life, which is not to say that I can look you in the eye this morning and tell you that we are moving forward without fear, that we are moving forward with absolute confidence that all will be just the way that we want it to be, because we do not know that. I can tell you that we have confidence in Jesus Christ. I know that he has a business plan that we can live with. I don't know what is in store, but I know that he is using this situation not only for us to be able to witness to others, but that he is growing us right where we stand. Something that I don't think any of us are that fond of. There's nothing quite like a little OJT in the faith department. But it's something that we all need. Here's our status today. I asked if they were going to make a formal complaint against Right Way, and they said no. I don't know if any of you are attorneys in here, but guess why they didn't want to put it on paper? Because they don't want to end up on the front page of the newspaper, OK? They do not want to file a formal written complaint about, oh, I hate to say this, but it's the truth, a woman-owned corporation holding a long-term contract with the state of Idaho. They can't very well say that our work has been unsatisfactory because you don't stay on a contract for 15 years if you're not getting it done. So they don't want to go there. But two days later, on the 23rd of June, we were called into the same bureau chief's office and we were told that due to budget cuts, beginning July 1, we would start to train RightWay's state employee replacements. And that is what we are doing right now. We are still employed. I've also learned in this experience that there are things much worse than losing your job. Much worse than losing your job. I have a new term for this now. I call this job-oriented terrorism they have got to get us to resign our contract. Not because we have threatened to sue them, but because they are afraid that we will sue them. And if we sue them, we are very likely to win. And so the name of the game now is to squeeze so tight that something breaks. Because if we go in and resign the contract, our problem goes away for the state of Idaho. That's where we're at today. Please keep us in your prayers. Um, And all that I can really share with you about that at this time is, honestly, friends, we have to be asking the Lord to prepare us for something that is beyond our comprehension. Mm -hmm. We can talk about this all day long. We could stay here until 6 o'clock Sunday night. And we will never understand what it feels like to be like Peter standing in that courtyard when they said, you know him, you're with him. It is an indescribable feeling. Okay, now, I want to move away from that, but that's a good backdrop for what we're going to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that it has never been more challenging, more controversial, more crucial, or more rewarding to witness for Jesus Christ in the workplace. And I'm gonna go through these very quickly. First of all, it's challenging. Any of us in this room that are out in a secular workplace know that we are living and working in a society that even though we call this the most troublesome economic times that most of us have ever lived through or been a part of or seen, we are still part of a society that is so affluent so successful, so self-aggrandizing, so self-idolizing that you will be hard-pressed, even in these troublesome times, to find a living soul in the United States of America who truly sees their need for a Savior. We're just not there. That's just not part of the American dream. Many of us know people that have lost their homes, they've lost their jobs, or they're living with the threat or the fear of having that situation occur in their life. But very few of us know anyone who is truly hungry. And I mean hungry physically or hungry spiritually. Ellen White writes in Acts of the Apostles, page 461, and I find this to be a very revealing statement. It is extremely difficult to witness to people in the marketplace because they are willingly, willingly living in bondage to sin. It is an acceptable trade-off for the things which this world has to offer, okay? If anyone disagrees, let's talk about that later. It's challenging to witness for Christ in the marketplace because each day you are rubbing elbows with, having an influence on, and interacting with people who don't, in many cases, even remotely believe that they have a need for a personal Savior. Second, it is controversial and becoming more so every single day. There is such a heightened sensitivity in the world that we live in to professing Christianity, it's really quite amazing. Now, we don't have time in this morning seminar to go through the reasons for this, but we all know that there are a large number of social, political, economic, and spiritual factors that play into that. It is just becoming highly sensitive to be a Christian. I will just give you, um, this statement perhaps caused more trouble on the video than anything else that I said. I know that where I work, virtually anything is acceptable except Christianity. I work with people who are practicing a set of religious or spiritual beliefs um, that in some cases defy understanding or even, even being able to logically explain what they are. And that is completely tolerated, but not Christianity. Christians have become labeled as being intolerant because we live and we work within a worldview where everything either is currently or just like that can become completely acceptable. So there's no toleration whatsoever for making any kind of a biblical judgment call or having any sense of right and wrong. All right, third, it is critical. It is critical to be witnessing for Christ in the marketplace right now because of the troublesome times in which we are living. This is an environment that is making it possible for people to warm up, people to begin to become willing, and there are souls out there who are searching for Christ and they are basically hanging in the balance. So if we're intimidated about claiming our Christianity, particularly if we're intimidated about claiming our Seventh-day Adventist Christianity, if we are unable or unwilling to witness to those people who come across our path in the marketplace, their lives are literally hanging in the balance at this time. And it is rewarding. It is rewarding because those people are out there and the Lord will use you in a special way. Now, one thing that I really want to stress this morning, whether or not you acknowledge your calling as a Seventh-day Adventist business professional or not, is your choice. It does not, however, minimize the fact that Jesus has called you to do this, that he is developing you to do it, that he is preparing you to do it. It's a little easier for us to see ourselves working or contributing perhaps in a foreign country or being part of a great big mission project, but again, that does not minimize your calling to workplace ministry. Ellen White again, The Desire of Ages, pages seven twelve. She talks about the disciple of Christ who in the course of his day disguises his faith because of the dread of suffering or reproach denies his Lord, as surely as did Peter in the judgment hall. And historically, I can tell you that sharing the truth in troublesome times has always provoked an excited reaction. We must be willing not to just endure it, but we must be willing to embrace it. In all our ways, if we will acknowledge Him, He will direct our paths. Now, this morning, are you willing to take a few minutes? I know this isn't always pleasant, but let's take a look. Why are we unwilling? Why are we unwilling to develop and nurture a strong marketplace witness. I can identify two problems. It is not my goal to offend anyone here this morning. But since we're going to spend some time together, I'm going to throw out what I see as a problem, and these are things that I believe that all of us struggle with. The first problem is that the enemy is working hard. Many of us as Seventh-day Adventists, period, or Seventh-day Adventist business professionals do not know, I mean know in your knower, what we believe anymore. We don't know what we believe anymore. We're arguing about the 28 fundamental beliefs at the bedrock core of our faith. And some of us are confused. Some of us don't know which side of these issues to come down on. Now this is one of the first business principles. A weak conviction makes for a very unconvincing argument. How am I going to witness to you? How am I going to sell you something? Maybe some of you here are in sales. How am I gonna make a presentation to you about something that I have a weak conviction about? If I don't know which side of the issue I come down on, how can I expect you to be inspired to make a decision? We absolutely must know what we believe. I'm not here this morning to tell you what that should be, but we must know what we do believe. Now here is the second problem, and this is no less important than the first we have really been sold a bag of tricks. We have been so duped. We have bought into the notion that telling the truth is going to alienate many people. Have you heard that one before? You have to do this, you have to do it like this. Oh, be careful not to do that. Be careful not to say this. Just be careful, be careful, be careful. And pretty soon, I don't know if you're anything like me, But after a while, you become paralyzed, because you don't know what you would dare say or do that could possibly reach out to someone, even when the opportunity is right there in front of you. Well, I can identify a bigger problem for you this morning than to alienate people. The bigger problem are some of the people, or even many of the people. The bigger problem is that when we dilute the message, when we don't know what we believe, when we're afraid to take the opportunity, when we're afraid to speak in love and compassion, and make no mistake about it, friends, if you knew, if you had kind of the psychological equivalent of like x-ray vision or something, If you knew that you were the last opportunity for someone to accept Jesus Christ and have eternal salvation, oh, trust me, you would be witnessing to them in a different way. You would sense the urgency. You would feel the need. God is bringing those people across your path today. You have to have the love of Jesus Christ in your heart because no one was ever won to the kingdom through argument or paddling them over the head. But here is the bigger problem. When we dilute the message, when we don't tell about the power of the gospel to transform and save, then we alienate all the people. Now, I'm a business professional. If my two choices are alienating some of the people some of the time or alienating all of the people all of the time, then I am going to take the lesser. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit that there are people out there who need to be led to the Lord and might need to hear something that I have had to say. I don't have time to go into that this morning, but I can tell you that two people that I know of that are longtime baptized members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church that I know I personally led to the Lord, two of them, big-time anger, big-time alienation, One was a family member. We broke up a 100-person family reunion accidentally. All I did was ask a single question, and they scattered to the four corners of the United States. I really thought I had made a serious mistake. But as it turns out, it wasn't a mistake. It was just exactly the question that needed to be asked. And it set a lot of people on a path of discovery when we're unwilling to put our faith in the preparatory work of the Holy Spirit, what are we doing? We're elevating ourselves above the Lord, and we all know who did that. Just remember, you might be talking to someone whose last chance to accept the gospel may be through you. I want to hit very briefly on a couple of points as long as we're talking right now about witnessing for Christ in the marketplace. If you'll bear with me, I'd like to mention just a few things that I find particularly ineffective and things that I find very offensive and I've been told by other people that they do as well. Number one, when we're sharing for Christ in the marketplace, I look out, most of my audience here this morning is men. I don't think men have as much of a tendency to do this as women do. But speak in a normal, business like voice. Be yourself. Be genuine. Be sincere. I think sometimes, and ladies, I don't mean to offend us, but sometimes I see Christian ladies, although I've seen men do it too. You hear them one minute and they're yelling at their kids to get out of the middle of the street, and the next minute they put on what I call their angelic voice. And it, and it, In my ears, it almost kind of sounds like it has a little bit of a southern accent, and they start to whisper because they're talking about the Lord. You can't do that in a business environment where people are accustomed to seeing you and hearing you be a business person. How can I say, you take this assignment, you take that assignment, I want you to go over here, I want that to happen, I want this to happen, we're all gonna meet back here in 20 minutes and I want a status report. How can I say that as a business owner and then turn around and say, God bless you. (laughs) It's fake, it's phony. It makes us sound inarticulate, it makes us sound insincere. And we would be well advised to show people that we're comfortable. It's almost like we can't say his name in a normal speaking voice. I love Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's easier to say if we kind of put on an angelic voice about it. I don't know why. I'm not a psychologist. I just know that it really doesn't play well in the business environment. And if you find yourself being one of those people who does that, you might want to examine how comfortable you are with your relationship with the Lord. We have to actively, this is number two, we have to actively cultivate a business reputation as being a man and a, or a woman who is the Lord's. Half of the witness oper, witnessing opportunities that I have come to me because people understand clearly, oh yeah, well go ask Denny Sue. Now, she believes Now, they may not believe, and they may think that I'm ignorant for believing, but their 17-year-old nephew committed suicide over the weekend, and they need somebody to talk to. So at that moment, they don't really care if they think that I'm a fool for believing in Jesus Christ. They have a deep down hurt. They want some comfort. They want to talk to somebody, and it is important that they don't go to the guy in the office next to me with the crystals hanging from his ceiling and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. As a Christian, I want those people to come to me. Now, if you think it's easy to affiliate yourself with Christianity in a non-Christian environment, it isn't. But it's worth the price that you pay in order to have those opportunities. We can't be embarrassed or ashamed of God. People pick up on that right now. And if you're professing to have a life-changing, life-transforming relationship with the Lord and you're embarrassed to talk about it, what does that say to people? And last and absolutely not least, this is the tough one for me. It's probably going to be the tough one for many of us. We have to lay aside our business mask because when we go to work, we're dressed in the full armor of the business world. And we need to be wearing the full armor of Jesus. And that's a tough fence to straddle. A very tough fence to straddle. We have to be willing to make ourselves vulnerable. Because if people are afraid of us, if they don't see a vulnerability in us, they will not come when the time is right. Forgive me, I know I'm moving very quickly. Very quickly running out of time. Ellen White from the book Education, page 57. She says, The greatest want of the world is the want of men and women, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true as the, to duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. That really, in a nutshell, is what our calling is. Amen. And I want us to encourage one another this morning by acknowledging the fact that many have gone before us, many will come behind us. It is, in fact, possible for us to work in a secular environment, to own businesses, to be proud of our relationship with Jesus Christ, to run successful businesses, and to make ourselves vulnerable enough that people are able to come to us so that we have witnessing opportunities. It doesn't come natural. But all things are possible through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. And I am learning another deeper lesson about the fact that in my weakness, his strength is perfected. And I'm seeing amazing things. Okay, living out our witness in the workplace. Let's talk a little bit about that before we run out of time. You know, quite honestly, if we conducted our professional lives with the same lackluster, uncommitted, misappropriated, misguided, hit and miss, poorly planned, and undefined efforts that I've seen Adventist business people employ when witnessing for Christ in the marketplace, friends, we would be bankrupt. And we would surely all be unemployed. How do we really think we're representing God when we do that? How much time and effort in your life have you spent educating yourself, polishing your business persona, building a clientele, establishing productive networking relationships, all the things that we do to enhance, grow, and build our businesses. If we put a tenth, if we just tithe a tenth of that effort into building the kinds of relationships that will help us witness for Christ, I guarantee you, your success will be phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Workplace witnessing has to become our lifestyle because we're being watched five days a week. It's not like a Bible study situation where you're in a controlled environment. You meet Jane and John Doe. They're your neighbors down the street. You get to know them and you say, hey, would you guys like to have a Bible study at our house on Wednesday nights? That is wonderful. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jane and John don't see you all the time, every day. So you only have to put on your angelic voice on Wednesday nights, but the people who work for you and who work with you, they see you Monday morning They see you Friday afternoon. They see you through the good, and they see you through the bad. And the problem is they're watching all the time, and they are looking for a chink. I was not privileged to be raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and I can share with you. When the Holy Spirit was working on me and convicting me, I never took my eyes off my mother-in-law my now mother-in-law. She was the first Christian woman that I had ever really met. I thought, that's what a Christian woman looks like. I had never seen one. I wanted to be like that. But I wasn't sure if I wanted to give up the things that the Holy Spirit was convicting me that I would have to give up. And so I launched this campaign, and I never took my eyes off of her because I was just waiting and watching for her to do one thing that would allow me the opportunity to say, see, it's not real. She's just putting on her angelic voice, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, she never did. I never, ever saw her to this day do anything inconsistent with a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And it had a powerful impact in leading me to the Lord. And as long as we've now reverted back to that seed sowing topic again, let me say one other thing. When I tell my testimony, I say it took about 497 people to lead me to Jesus over about 30 years. I was in my mid forties when I was baptized. Only the last three people know that they had any impact on me whatsoever because I either said something I can't repeat in this room or I slammed the door on the other 494. But every one of them threw seed on me. Every one of them had an impact. They just don't know it and they won't know it until the kingdom. But they stood there with my door print on their nose, and they all went home and said something to themselves, like, What did I say? What did I do? Did I offend her? Did I? Eat? Oh, no, I probably have kept her from ever accepting Jesus Christ. Wrong. All 494 door slams or tell offs or whatever else I did to those people all led me to Jesus. We have to be willing to do that. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about taking an active role. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in specific things that we can do. But if your relationship with Christ is right, and if you are willing and if you are open, he will present opportunities to you that are absolutely unimaginable. If any of you have seen the video that I made for the ASI magazine, you'll know that where this all began for me was a game of Bible trivia. I decided after I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I was so far behind you guys, it wasn't even funny. I had never read the Bible. I was raised a Lutheran. We carried Bibles as an accessory to our outfits on Sunday morning. We didn't read them. We didn't read them because we were told that you couldn't understand them. So I had a lot of catching up to do. I decided to tithe my time to the Lord when I became a Seventh-day Adventist, and so I took the first two and a half hours of my day for Bible study and personal devotion, and that put me at the Capitol Mall in my office with my lights on at 5 a.m. every morning. Well, I didn't know this at the time, but I would spread out my Bible, I'd get my little notebooks going, and I'd start writing out. It worked for me in college. I decided that writing out the scripture might slow me down a little bit from just reading it, because I found myself reading too fast and not really understanding what it was saying. So these young Computer programmers and system developers would come into the capitol building and they would see the light on in my office And they would stop by and they'd say what are you doing here at 5 o'clock in the morning and my Bible's open on my desk And even that took an element of courage for me initially Well one of them was raised by a good good set of Southern Baptist parents And when I told him what he was doing he came back about 10 minutes later and he had this old crumpled up Bible trivia card and you know, I can't remember now what the question was that he asked me, but it was fairly obscure. He's about a 28-year-old kid with a wife and some young kids. And, and he was just trying to be funny. He just thought it would be funny to come in and stump me. Well, he read the question, and I tell you, there's no way in the world I would have known the answer, except I had just written it. And so, and I, was, I just looked him in the eye, and I gave him the answer, and for five minutes, he just stood there with his mouth hanging open. Well, the next morning, he came back with another Bible trivia card. And this went on and on and pretty soon, I had like 12 young men in my office at 5.30 in the morning. And not only were we playing Bible trivia for 20 minutes off the clock, but many opportunities were presented to talk about issues that were bothering them and give me an opportunity to share the gospel. In the workplace, I personally have not had good luck with Bible study guides. If I pull out a Bible study guide, people think, "Uh uh-oh, she's got an agenda. Look, she's got it written out. So I don't do that. There's no hotter topic in or out of the Adventist church right now than creation. If you want to get a Bible study going with somebody, just start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And I promise you that before you get through the 40th chapter of Genesis, you will have covered every single one of the 28 fundamental Adventist beliefs, and you will never have to use a study guide. Now, if somebody comes to you afterward and says, you know, I'd like to learn a little bit more about this, or I'd like to learn more about that, then it's easy for you to say, you know, I have a little booklet that I think would help you, and it's got all the Bible references in it, and then they're receptive. But I just haven't had very good luck starting out that way. I have done literature evangelism. I come to ASI. I get back on the plane Sunday night. I have to check all the stuff that I get from the exhibits. And I just pass it out everywhere. I leave it everywhere because I—it it is none of my business Who's going to pick it up and who's going to read it and what they're going to do with it? And I hear people say, well, you know, it just ends up in the garbage can. Who cares? There are lots of people who read the garbage that need to be led to Jesus Christ. Most important, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Health questions, indescribable. You cannot get through the workday without somebody bringing up the topic of health. Why? Well, especially in my age group, because we're all starting to kind of, you know, fall apart, and we talk about it at work, or they see us um, eating certain foods, doing certain things, talk about a workplace witness. I have young men that I work with, I've worked with them for 15 years, and every day they come by my office on their way to lunch and they holler in, in front of everybody, hey, we're on our way to lunch, we'll bring you back a double bacon cheeseburger. And you know, I just laugh about it. Now, it's not funny to me anymore. (laughs) You know, it's been 15 years. I can't believe it's still funny to them, but who cares? (laughs) Who cares? The point is, they're thinking about it. They're thinking about it. The fact that I don't have a double double bacon cheeseburger with them, they're thinking about that. What is wrong with her? Why is she doing that? I really don't want to get into this this morning, but those of you who know me know that a couple years ago, I really got into some very compulsive eating, uh, gained about 100 pounds, made I I was convicted and I, I dedicated myself to a vegetarian lifestyle, and I've taken 85 of those pounds off. Now, let me tell you, this is a hard thing for a woman to talk about in public. It's an even harder thing in the workplace for people to see that weight coming off, people you can't even imagine, people that I never have seen before in my whole life. Probably easily, no exaggeration, over a 100 people have watched that process, and I've had a chance to witness to them. Don't worry. God will provide and prepare you for the opportunities that you will need. Most of all, and most important, just be aware When we're at work, let's face it, it is very easy for us to get really tuned in to what we're there to do, what we're supposed to do, how can I do this, how can I do that, blah, blah, blah. If you're like me, you've got this big list and you're checking, 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 checking off, because that's kind of what my job is all about. Just be aware of the people around you and what their needs are and you will never run out of witnessing opportunities. And I, I challenge you this morning, if you get your focus on seed sowing instead of harvesting, I promise you, you're gonna become more aware of the opportunities. Because even though we all wanna harvest, we'd all, I mean, I'd love to stand up here and give you a list of names of all the people that I know of that have been baptized because of my witness. It's just what we like to do. But the truth of the matter is, There'll be more people in the kingdom if you concentrate on getting the seed out there than if you're constantly looking behind you to see who you've been successful with. We're really running out of time very quickly. I want to talk a little bit about this morning uh, persistence under persecution. You know, we are completely wired when we reach out and something hurts, we pull back. That's what we do. And there are reasons for that. And my personal experience is that we're really going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to train us in order to stand the gap when the persecution gets really bad. I think sometimes we are more geared to endure and thrive in the big crisis I won't ask for a show of hands, but I think it's even a personality trait. There are people that you want to be close to you in the big crisis, because for some reason they excel at that. Maybe it's because we're more tuned into it. Maybe it's because we're watching for it. Maybe it's because we've rehearsed the scenario of the big crisis a lot. So when we have the situation present itself to us, maybe it's a little bit easier for us to be ready. But what I find to be the biggest challenge that faces me on a day-to-day basis is the much smaller but no less powerful day-to-day rejection that we will all face from some of the people that you work with. We do not like this. We do not like this. It is extraordinarily painful. It is the most common and by far, in my opinion, the most hurtful of all the workplace persecution that most of us are ever going to deal with. I've had two experiences in 15 years with the state of Idaho. A couple of years ago, I was called into the attorney general's office because a federal auditor saw the book Steps to Christ in my office on the top of my bookshelf. That time they did file a formal complaint. But it was, you know, looking back on it, it was child's play compared to this recent situation. They called me in, there was a room full of attorneys. They said, hey, you're, you know, you're offending this guy. You've got a book on your bookcase that says Christ. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, are you people in the twilight zone? I, I have at least 250 Books, pamphlets, tapes, DVDs. My office is absolutely wall-to-wall covered with evangelistic materials. And this guy walks by and sees this one book. So now, they, now I'm being called in on the carpet over this book. Well, in order to be fair, they had to provide me representation on the spot. And so the attorney called me over in the corner and he says, you know, uh, you have a case if you would like to counter sue, then you shouldn't say anything right now at all, and we should go off and consult about that, blah, blah." And I said, no, I'm not going to counter sue. I said, religious freedom and religious liberty is the most important thing in the world to me. I said, I would have no part whatsoever in restraining this gentleman. If he is offended by the name of Christ, that is between him and Christ. And I was able to witness to them that way. Well, the long and the short of it is they, security walked me back to my office, They shifted my bookcase about two feet down the wall so that it couldn't be seen from my office door, and everybody was happy. And while they were in there shifting all my bookshelves around, all of my study guides and DVDs are falling off the shelves on the floor, and they're looking right at them, and it's just like they're blind. So the Lord really protected me that time. Now this, in my opinion, is a much smaller infraction, and this, in fact, will probably cost us the lion's share of our income. But those aren't the things that bring us down. It's the everyday rejection of knowing that you're not going to be the most popular kid in school because of your beliefs. And I wish this morning that I had more time to really develop that from an emotional point of view because most of us will be strong enough when they call us before kings to witness But what really knocks you down to size is when you walk by and you hear your name and you hear someone that you like and respect in the workplace say, don't invite them. They go to church on Friday night or something. I don't know what they do. Those are the kinds of things that hurt us. Those are the kinds of things where we need to have the Holy Spirit fill us and make us whole and give us strength and give us courage because it is the little stuff. It's because you don't eat a double bacon cheeseburger. It's because you don't drink. It's because you don't believe that grandma is in heaven right now looking down on you and you may choose to tell somebody, you owe it to them to tell them the truth and love. If you think you're doing your savior any favors by sitting there going, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure she is. I mean, it's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego crossing their fingers behind their back when the king told them to kneel down before the image. We're all called in our business environment to tell the truth from time to time. We know it's junior high school behavior. Half the time, the people that are doing it to us, we don't even admire or respect. And for some reason, now, if you can tell me why, please see me afterward. That doesn't make it sting any less. And especially if you are insecure in your beliefs. If you don't know why you're not eating bacon and someone is making fun of you because you're not eating a bacon cheeseburger, that's when it will really get to you. That's why it's important for you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Just in closing this morning, I want to thank you For letting me share this morning my workplace ministry has so developed my spiritual life I know that it's what I was called to do I know that as Adventist business professionals and business owners it's what you have been called to do as well that doesn't release us from other obligations it doesn't release us from other opportunities but you and I have been placed In an arena that perhaps no one else can work as effectively in as you and I are able to work in that place. My prayer for each and every one of us today is that we will be strengthened and encouraged as a result of our time here together this weekend, that our spiritual life will grow deeper, that we'll put down a deeper root that will stop sowing seeds for the kingdom one seed at a time, be wasteful. Amen. Throw it everywhere. Do not worry about the cost. Let the Lord take care of that for you. Remember, you may own the business, but you are not in the charge of the harvesting division. That is the work of the Holy Ghost. We don't like to hear this as business owners either, but trust me, we are not qualified. We are not qualified. We cannot do the work. I want to end up this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Try doing that in the workplace. It's a lot easier to read than it is to do. Do good to those who spitefully use you and persecute you, even if it means that you lose your paycheck. This isn't funny anymore. Losing your paycheck a couple of years ago used to mean that it would take you 30 days to throw your resume together and get a couple of interviews. Not so today. It can be financial ruin in the world that we're living in today that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. And he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than anyone else? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, be ye perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. I hope that your time here at ASI this weekend is enormously blessed. Open your hearts and your minds to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Refresh and freshen your relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ, and know that you have been called for such a time as this, God has a business plan for each one of you that you can live with, you can live with. Have life more abundantly, because not only does it lock in your eternal salvation, but all those whose lives that you touch, those whom you will take with you, and walk steady, and walk straight on, and look ahead and ask the Lord to give you courage and strength and know that you will be mocked and persecuted, that it will hurt in the little ways more than even in the big ways. But know that your reward is waiting for you. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.